All right, if you'll take your Bibles and join me in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. We're doing a study tonight. There's really three parts to this. There, there's three points to this uh, message here. There could be a fourth point. There's instruction for moms, instructions for dads, instructions for children. You may say, what's the fourth point? You say, instruction for the pets. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, the Bible doesn't say much of anything about that. <laughs> but the reason why I came across this is because I'm doing some premarital counseling with a couple and going through all of these things that you try to share with people before they get married so you can have the expectation set. Sadly, there's a lot of false information about there about what marriage is and what it isn't. I think one of the most important things we see with marriage is that it is a picture of how Christ loved the church. And just like God had order in the garden, he has not changed. There's order that we're supposed to see in the family. But the number one thing that gets in the way of growing families is pride. It leads to bitterness, leads to a cutting off of communication. Uh, Yankee would always say there, uh, that people are holding hand grenades. And, you know, they kind of, okay, I'll take stock of that, I'll take stock of that. And the wife says one thing, the husband responds back with his little hand grenade, and Yankee would say, and then the war began, right? And that's what people sadly do in a lot of marriages. They kind of, it's like they keep score. <clears throat> you got one over me here, I got one over you here. And then an argument happens six months later and you go, you remember what you said six months ago? And they pull the pin and they're throwing it. And those problems never got solved. And it leads to really a poor demonstration of love. The Bible tells us over and over again, love not just in word, or in the things that you say, but with actual actions, with deeds. And that takes work, that takes commitment. You can't fake those things. I want to read you this quote from uh, a commentary that I read that is very good about the Bible and the home. So just listen along here before we get into First um, Peter 3. The Bible is the basic textbook in the home. It was once the basic tech, uh, textbook in the educational system, but even if that were still true, the Bible in the school can't replace the Bible in the home. Now, before I read the rest of that quote, I just want to tell you how I feel about that. Amen. <laughs> um, even when the Bible was in school, there is this idea that, well, because they hear it eight hours a day, you know, five days a week, it's going to sink in and they're going to actually do it. I think my generation is proof that that's not true. Just because we're exposed to knowledge and information doesn't mean it's going to lead to actual application of that knowledge and information. But look what he says about this. I note that many modern parents sacrifice time and great financial commitment to help their children excel in music, sports, and social activities, but I trust they even more are concerned that their children excel in knowing and obeying the Word of God. I think that, that should be a primary function of a sound biblical family, that the word is being taught. Now, some people would say, you know, you can only homeschool, never put your kids in public school and all that. We're living in a day and age where that's not possible for everybody. But that doesn't mean that we just forfeit the Bible in the home. And that starts with mom and dad being on the same page. This is why it's so important when the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked. I can't tell you how many situations I've gotten through email of an unbelieving spouse problem 
where somebody gets married to somebody because they click on surface level values, but then as life gets difficult and situations get real, you find out how important your faith is, God convicts that saved person to do right by him, they respond to it, but now they have a spouse who doesn't even believe like they do. It's very difficult. The Bible gives instruction for how to handle that in 1 Corinthians 7, the first 16 verses. Talk about that. And there's a lot of, there's some vagueness there about, well, if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. But you don't leave them, the saved person, you should be with them as long as you can to try and lead them to conversion, to faith in Christ. I deal with this when I'm talking to people who are not equally yoked. I say the first problem that needs to be solved is not this issue of communication. It's not whatever brought you to come to see me. The first issue that needs to be solved is they need to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And that comes about by what? Faith in Christ. Because you can have a lost man do all the things a saved person can do and still be lost. So you can have a marriage that on the surface functions properly, but just because you have a good marriage doesn't mean you're going to have eternal life. It would be a shame if you get the unbelieving spouse to just live righteously but not have any righteous effect towards God and die in an unregenerated state and end up separated from God forever. So it's important to recognize how (laughs) crucial the gospel is, especially when people are getting married. I've done two uh, premarital counseling sessions, or uh, two different couples, and in, in all those sessions, we build off of the love that God has demonstrated to us, the love that God has demonstrated to us. That's how you love your spouse. Of course, you can do all the, you know, love language stuff, and there's nothing wrong with that. You need to understand how your partner receives and understands love, but you have to understand your love is not just the things that you say, it's the things that you do. It is willing the good of another over yourself. That can manifest itself in multiple ways, but if you stick to, I want to love my spouse the way God loved me, you're going to be fine. That doesn't mean they're going to do the same thing. This is why it's so important that you iron these things out in counseling, especially before you get married, so you can go, oh, I never thought about that before. You'll save yourself some you know, hard experiences, but if you stick to the Lord, it'll be okay. The couple that I'm counseling right now, it's funny, the first session, everything was kind of, you know, okay. We were you know, just getting to know each other. Second session, we started learning things. And the third session was a lot more fun because it's like, really? I didn't think, oh, really? You think that? And it's, it's encouraging because all these things they're learning about one another, they're also learning it within the scope of Scripture. So that when they don't see me anymore, I'm not going to be in their marriage. I don't want to be. I don't want them to do right because I'm there. They look to God's word. That's what you're trying to teach people. That's what Dr. Arnold, who's here tonight, that's what, that's what he did with me and Kyla. Just point us to the word, point us to the word. And then he has an example of a good marriage between he and Betty. So I got to see that as I grew up. You know, I got married when I was 20 years old. It's pretty young. The, the, the couple I'm counseling now, they're, I think they're not even 19. I think they're 18 and one of them 19. And there, you know, there's a lot of people that say, oh, that's a big, that's a big you know, red flag. You got two saved individuals who want to honor God and be in marriage. I don't see where the scripture says they must meet this age requirement. You know, before we get any deeper on that, there's a lot of things that young people are believing about marriage. You got to be financially successful, you have to be established, all that. 
Are you depending on your financial success, your emotional well-being to go into a marriage and, and automatically you'll have success? Matter of fact, I think the more uh, financial success you have, the more problems you may run into. There may be difficulties with that. How about we just trust the Lord? We honor Him with the things that we say and the things that we do and allow His Word to show and prove itself to be fruitful. I think that's what young people need to hear. But sadly, they're hearing a lot. Meet this standard, meet this standard, meet this standard, and it's all worldly stuff. You know how easily you can go from financial success to financial ruin? You can have all the money in the world, but poor health. You can't throw your money at your cancer diagnosis. Those things, sadly, people are saying, this is accurate, this is how I can be successful. But once you're in a marriage, and of course children come as a result of that, there are expectations that God has for each person in the family. And I love this stuff. This is, this is stuff to me that I'm excited to put to the test in my marriage and in how we raise our daughter. That was one of the, that was one of the things we prayed about when we were looking to adopt or even when we were in foster care. We not only wanted the opportunity to love somebody you know, unconditionally like God loves us. I mean, Kyle and I can do that without children. But we wanted to have an opportunity to be an example of raising your children under the nurturing and admonition of the Lord. We wanted that. Because I know that it works. And there's a lot of attack against a biblical way to raise your kids. You know, for some reason, the world labels it as slavery. <laughs> they, they label it as something where it's like you're cutting children off from everything in the world. I don't want my kids exposed to the internet. You know, that's dangerous. You know how easy it is for something pornographic to pop up on a kid's computer without them even looking for it? Most of the sessions in which I've dealt with pornographic material and people who are using it, it's, they're exposed to it without looking for it. How about you remove the opportunity for them to be exposed to it? And in Christianity, especially in the church that I was raised in, not here, the church I was at before, there was so much negative talk about sex that it was almost never good. It was almost like, even within a marriage, it's something, you know, we don't talk about it. God created that. He has a form and function for it. The devil's the one who's twisted and perverted it. How about we teach kids the biblical way, and then they'll be able to see the truth, so when they see something that doesn't correspond with the truth, they automatically go, something's not right, because it doesn't measure up to God's word. But a lot of parents want to put barriers around their kids and just say, because I said so, there's no biblical support for it. Then the next thing you know, as soon as they turn 18, what do they go do? They break that barrier. I heard this illustration in a parenting class years ago when Jan and Lucia were working on parenting their two kids, my nephews, Jason and Micah. They were talking about a kid who runs around the house with a hot cup of coffee. That's a danger, right? They could burn themselves, they could fall and get injured, whatever it may be. You have two options as a parent. You can yell and scream at them and say, hey, stop with that. And when they say, why? You can just say, because I told you so. I mean, it's adequate for the moment. Or you can explain to them, there's a danger you're taking. This is hot. You could burn your hand. You could hurt somebody else. And they understand why it's dangerous. If you just tell them, because I said so, what's going to happen is, as soon as you're not there to say so, they will do the thing that they want to do. You become the barrier to obedience. So as soon as you're gone, they're going to disobey. 
Because, hey, I'm free now. And the world gets a hold of a kid like that, and they spiral quick. So what's the opposite? You set the standard, God is the one we're accountable to. When you turn 18, God doesn't go, okay, good luck. I'm not looking anymore. You got this. (laughs) They're still accountable to him. They learn the word, which is in agreement with the Holy Spirit. If your child is saved, they have the same Holy Spirit leading them, guiding them, directing them in all truth. And you raise a, not just a functioning adult, you know, a good person. You raise somebody who, you know what? If you're raising a son like that, there's a woman out there that's looking for a good man, and he's going to be it. You raise a daughter like that, there's a man looking for a woman like her. So what a wonderful opportunity that is. There's a lot of things out there that are producing difficult people. People that put themselves in the center of the entire story. They build, and I, I just heard about this this week, and I started diving into it because I think it's very accurate of many people suffer from covert narcissism. And you know, a lot of psychiatrists fall into that mold. They don't even know that they're centering everything around themselves. Well, how do you avoid that? Well, you know, it's like Yahtzee. I need five fives, and hopefully I'll just roll three times and get it. That's not how it has to be with your kids and your marriage. And you say, well, I didn't get the roll. Ah, that is what it is. You can, you can affect these things positively, and it starts with your marriage. And so that's where I want to start. I want to look at the responsibility of the mother, the father, then the children. And no, we won't be covering the pets, because they never do anything wrong, right? <laughs> I remember my dog was great until we got into an apartment. And I, got a, I, I bought my first suit, and I laid it on the couch. And I came home, and the whole lapel was chewed up. And instantly, in, in a moment, I said, we don't really need a dog, right? She'll figure it out. <laughs> that free dog became a $120 dog, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, gives instructions for mothers, for wives. The first thing is, likewise, ye wives, be in subject, uh, excuse me, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives. Now, right here, automatically, the world says, this is restraining women's rights, this is a major problem now, this is why the Bible is outdated, all sorts of stuff like that. But I want you to notice the first word in this chapter heading is likewise. So if we understand what that word means, it means in this manner. Well, this is the beginning of the chapter. So in what manner? Look at chapter 2. Chapter 2, starting in verse 13, says this. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so your submission is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now stop for a second. There is no gender description in verse 13. It doesn't say, women. This is for everybody. So God's not asking the woman to do something that she already shouldn't be doing or that her husband shouldn't be doing either. They all should be in subjection. Somebody asked a question early on in the Bible line filming when we were still filming in my office. 
like, when do we disobey our government? Well, you disobey the government. Oh, here we go. The people that are watching on the stream are like, clip this right now. <laughs> you disobey the government when they go against what God's word says. However, you, are, you should be ready for the punishment that comes with that. That's persecution. Now look, you can, have, you can own all the weapons in your house. And I'm not saying you don't have a right to self-defense. But most pistols, you know, they only got 16, 17 bullets in the magazine. Now what? At the end of the day, you're going to probably have that nation come against you and there'll be a punishment against you. Think about how the tribulation period is going to go. People are going to lose their heads for their faith in Christ. And the believers in heaven say to the Father, when will our blood be avenged? And he says, hold your peace. There are many more who have yet to die. Christians are going to be slaughtered for their faith. I know we don't see that here in America, but it's happening in foreign countries. And I'm telling you, they have to be deceptive as to where they're going and what they're doing. You have to be ready for those consequences. The Bible says, submit yourselves to every ordinance. Obviously, if that ordinance is to bring you to sin, then you, we would rather obey God than man. What happened to the apostles after they said that? They got smacked around. And Gamaliel was like, hey, we better be careful here. We got these two examples of other people who said similar things like Jesus, and as soon as their leader died, everybody dispersed. We better be careful that we're not raising our hand against what God is doing. And I think it's comical. The reaction is, okay, and they beat the apostles. They put them in jail. They were freed from that. God is the one who gets the glory even in that persecution. Paul says, I want to know and take part in that suffering. That doesn't mean we go look for it. But the instruction here to wives is what's already been said to everybody. And then you see in verse 21, for even hereunto were ye called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. God is not asking to do something that he has not already demonstrated. Did Christ allow himself to be beaten? And he was sinless, folks. Read on, 22. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in the most physical way in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Amen. What a beautiful section of Scripture here. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned, which happens by faith in Jesus, to the capital S, shepherd, and bishop of your souls. And then if you just keep going, don't even look at the chapter 3 heading. The next thing that is said is, likewise, ye wives. Now I'll say something here that may sound a little rough, but this is why it's so important, ladies. Pick a good man, and it'll be easy to submit to him. But sadly, all the surface level stuff is what people look at today. And they say, oh, well, you know, he provides, he's nice to me, he pays. So this is good. 
we'll just go forward with it. And folks, you don't really have anybody to blame except their parents and the culture that we're in today. It's easy for a wife to be in subjection to her husband if he's a godly man. So I think we need more godly men. Amen? Kids that are more concerned about honoring God than just building up themselves and their own self-image. I don't think there would be any problem if there was some way for the internet to just totally delete all social media. It just gets wiped out. You go to check whatever and you're like, oh no, it's gone. Good, that's probably good. There was a major site that just shut down unexpectedly. It had been up since 2009. It's called Omegle. I remember when this website came about because it was so creepy. But it basically was an unfiltered connection to servers around the world where you would go on this website and you would be instantly in touch with a stranger. And it literally, the tagline was, talk to strangers. And it was just something, the creator just wrote this big diatribe after he had to take it down. Long story short, a bunch of pedophiles found that app. Why not? It's anonymous. You, you have no verification. You use a VPN. You can pretend like you're in Brazil, but you're really in San Antonio. There was a case that was brought against in 2022 where an 11-year-old girl was pressured into pornographic material, the solicitation of child pornography, from some 30-year-old man. This went on for months. He would threaten. All because of social media. He got a hold of her Facebook. He got a hold of her Instagram. She's 11 years old. She shouldn't have any of that. She does. But there's rules. People get around rules all the time. It's a multi-million dollar lawsuit that settled outside of court, and then Omegle got shut down. Good. But that perverseness is everywhere. And this is what our kids are being exposed to. Certainly more than this. Trent and I have talked about this before. Youth Ranch and Awana, they're great, but they're a very minimal impact on kids' lives without mom and dad involved. That's why I think Awana is great. Get that little handbook, you get those verses taught in class, little kid comes home with it, mom and dad have to listen to it and sign it off. There's a reason why we started doing Awana on Sunday night. So mom and dad could be here. They get teaching in the service, they have their kids memorizing verses, I think that's great, but that's a small percentage. That's why I like Awana, because it takes it home. Our students in Youth Ranch right now, these kids are trusting Christ, but they don't have models for behavior. So Trent's doing the best he can with what, three hours a week? You know, 12 hours a month if they come and they're paying attention every time. Well, we just give up on them, right? No, that's the future, folks. They need it. That's why if we can raise good moms, good dads, get them to change their mind and start implementing godly principles, you can change these kids real quick. It's not too late. Look at the rest of this here. Submit to your husband as all Christians should submit. We just saw that in, in chapter 2. Continuing here, look at verse 3. Whose adorning let it not be the, that outward adorning of plating the hair and wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. Now, let me tell you what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that you shouldn't take care of yourself. Because a lot of people... They just look at the surface level there. It's like, oh, well, makeup is bad. This stuff's bad. 
This is saying, don't let that be your only identification. Read on. I think a lot of people would benefit if they just kept reading. Amen? (laughs) Keep reading. Look at verse 4. But instead of those things being your value, young ladies, let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible. So what is this talking about? If it's a hidden man of the heart and it's not corruptible, this has to be your new nature. You need to live according to who you are in Christ. That's a beautiful thing. You don't need makeup and pretty jewelry to make that new nature shine, amen? Boy, if young women were to realize, you know how many young women are, are, are caught in body shaming and just these unrealistic beauty standards? How about we tell our daughters, you're beautiful because you're found in Christ. It changed some lives. I did not expect to be a girl dad. Love it. Loving it so far. But I want my daughter to know her outward appearance does not determine her value. I'm going to tell her that early and often. Because I want her to see what matters is you're a child of God. And you love, oh, I can't even imagine Remy married, but you know, if, if that were to happen. You say, let that man fall in love with who you are in Christ. Not all the outward stuff. Because you know what, folks? That can all go. My, uh, my uncle's grandfather, or his father, I think, was in a horrible plane crash, burned 70% of his body. I remember the first time seeing him, it, you know, it, was, it was jarring. I didn't expect that. Very nice man, though. I remember that trip to Tennessee, learning things about just because people might not look appealing on the outside doesn't mean they're l- worth less. And that's the instruction to young women here. To wives, look what it says. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, of great price. So God sees meekness, quietness, peaceability as something very valuable. The world says, oh, that's, you know, you being loud and boisterous, that's, that makes you valuable. Think of all the things that feminism is teaching people today. Just be loud, be loud enough. Isn't it funny that it's the exact opposite of what the Bible says women should do? Look at what it says in um, verse 5. For after this manner in the old time, the holy men, excuse me, holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. So it's not just, now we're going to move on from this. And we're going to look at what they should be doing outwardly. Okay, so we have the inward thing that the wives should be doing. But as they have children, or even as they can get involved in a local church, they're supposed to demonstrate and teach godliness. Look in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, start there in verse 3 through 5. The aged women also. It doesn't mean just the our seasoned saints. This is for anybody with experience. That they be in behavior as becometh holiness. What does that mean? Well, we're set apart. 1 Peter 1.16 tells us, be holy as he is holy. So we should be set apart for a purpose, and the women 
should be demonstrating that in their behavior. Not false accusers. I'm just going to say this because you understand it from our culture, how powerful a false accusation from a woman can be. Our justice system says innocent until proven guilty. It is the reverse today for men. Guilty until proven innocent. And even then, they lose jobs and careers because of something that a woman may say. And you may say, well, I don't ag- Pastor, I don't agree with that. Well, that's where the world is today. You see what's happening on college campuses with these accusations of rape? By the way, you solve that right away by just saving yourself for marriage. You don't have to worry about that. But you find out a young lady slept with a guy, changed her mind afterwards, revoked her consent afterwards, makes an accusation against him, and his life is ruined, and then five years later he's proven innocent. Doesn't matter. The guy can't get a job. The Bible says... Our women should not be false accusers. Not given to much wine. By the way, the way you avoid much wine is you have no wine. That's a really good way to do that. Teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober. And that doesn't just mean, you know, sobriety from alcohol. This is serious in the way that you think. And it doesn't mean you don't have fun either. That you're, you know, someone who's kind of like always against the grain. But... Yet you're level-headed, you're composed to love their husbands. So it's not just, I'm obeying because God told me, and you have hatred in your heart towards your husband. You should love him. That's a very important word, that word love. To love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. You realize the intensity of these instructions? If you do them, you bring value to the Word of God. I'll tell you right now, all the marriages that I've seen that employ these principles, honestly, are great marriages. They're marriages that I look at with my wife and I say, we're going to put these principles into practice. Now, I've seen many people do these things on a surface level, but they don't have any love. And it doesn't work doesn't work. The kids become bitter, and as soon as they have a chance, so that when that barrier is removed, they go into the world, and the world says, there are no barriers. And, you, and, and what's sad is when the kids fall, usually a divorce happens after the kids are outside the home, and you realize, like, what happened? Well, they're bringing shame to the Word of God because they were doing these things in practice only, but they had an internal problem. And a lot of people, sadly, they get these, you know, these big TLC shows and stuff like that. I'm thinking of one, their names escaped me, but they were huge like during COVID because it was kind of the only thing you could watch. I'm trying to remember these guys' names. I can't off the top of my head. It starts with a P. I don't remember. But they were on there and they had Christian values and Christian principles. They were in a Lutheran church. So just by surface level, according to the doctrinal statement of the Lutheran church, I don't know if they were saved or not. You could probably say they weren't. But as soon as the kids start getting freedom, they rebel. Three seasons later, kids are outside the home doing all sorts of things, and the mom and dad get a divorce. What happened? It was built on just doing things instead of internal. That's why I think that word love is very important. Let's look at the instruction to the fathers here. Look in Ephesians chapter 5. Don't forget that it's said for the wives to love, okay? Because that's important because the men also are instructed to love. 
And that's not just, oh, I like him because, you know, I met him at the Bucks game and we, 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 you know, we knew all the players and all that stuff and we just clicked. That could be something you identify with, right? But you should love him because God loved you. And you demonstrate that love to him and you demonstrate that love to her. That's a marriage that's going to grow. Why? Look at the scripture. Ephesians 5.25, page 1254. Husbands, love your wives even in this way as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. We should have men in the home that mom knows and the kids know I'd do anything for this family. I would, I would allow my life to be taken for yours to be preserved. That's a heavy, heavy responsibility. That's a great one to bear though. Because you know, as a husband, even if your life was to be called, and you had to give your life for your children, you'll be with the Lord. And if you're a godly man, you've set your kids and your wife up for success. Spiritually. I'm not talking about you have a will. Because what's money? But isn't it great to know that, I, I, I would say myself, if I knew my life was required to protect my family, I know my wife, the day of her death, she's with the Lord, my daughter the same. I'm just getting there first. I'm not saying that in a selfish way. But I don't have to worry and fret and fear because they're in the Lord's hands. They're his kids. Look what it says continuing. That he might sanctify and cleanse it, talking about now with Christ, with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it, us, this is us who have believed, to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. This is 1 John 3, 1 through 2. We don't know what we look like then, but we know that when he appears, we will see him and be like him. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. So this is the, the illustration here is just as you would want self-preservation, love your wife in the same way. You think that's so much easier for a wife to love a man who loves her like that? I'm not talking about the financial things or the physical aspects of love in a marriage. This is commitment beyond what the world says is commitment. The most popular artist in the world right now, Taylor Swift. All eyes are on her and this tight end in Kansas City. Everyone's like, oh my goodness, we got to watch. Oh, she's found love. This is not the first person that Taylor Swift has been with. But I'm serious about this. Young women say, I want that. I want a strong, athletic man. Is that value? Just because he's strong and athletic, can he be lost still? But look at what the world is painting as, this is success. What's the probability that young girls are going to grow up and be as influential as Taylor Swift? Um, less than 1%, which is like zero. Well, you, you know, kids can be whatever they want to be. Doesn't mean they should be like that. How about we point our kids to Christ? Point our kids to how God loved them. Now you're, now you're setting something up that's attainable. I don't, you know, I'm not trying to make Taylor Swift the enemy here. I hope she comes to faith in Christ. I don't know what the chances of those are, but I just think it's amazing how everybody's watching these things and saying, this is what I want. You can have that without that. You can have real lasting love. Look in Titus chapter 2 and verses 6 through 10 for, for the fathers here. We were just there for the 
uh, for the women. Now there's some instruction for the men. Good stuff here too. You're going to notice some, some things in common. Specifically, verse 4, teach the young women to be sober. Verse 6, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. They should also be grave and serious in the way that they think about things. In all things, showing thyself a, this is very important, a pattern of good works. There's a difference between being a pattern of good works and hitting on it sometimes and not. You want a pattern of success. That comes from routine. You put these things in the place, and they set up, and you have a history of experience. This is why the Scripture says, when considering an elder, you do not select a novice. That doesn't mean you don't go for a young man. Timothy was a young man. But there needs to be a pattern, a demonstrable pattern of good works. Sadly, a lot of people look at the position of elder as... This is something that I can put as a personal achievement. This is not something you put on your resume. This is an opportunity to exercise humble leadership, not lord yourself over somebody. You walk in and go, all hail, elder, blah, blah. This is not how that works. That's one of the things in the Catholic Church that people see. This cardinal thing, bishops, priests, all that. They are treated as though they are royalty. You want to know what real royalty did? What Jesus did, he submitted. I want that. And plus those funny hats that those guys wear. It's, just, it's a no for me. Like, you know, you know <laughs> I'm just being funny, but, you know, honestly, can you imagine? Anyway, verse 7. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine, in, so in the things that you have learned, showing uncorruptness, Gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. By the way, you know how you have sound speech? You talk less. It's pretty much a good thing. I've told you this about my HOA recently. Get people in, and they're just a lot of connecting phrases. Long story short, I hear that so many times. In other words, and it's like, we get it. <laughs> it's like there's only... So many ways you can say you're not happy the HOA fee is going up. We get it. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. When you say what you mean, let your yes be yes, your no be no, that, that can't be condemned. That he that is of the contrary part, the one who is against you, may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you. This is why teachers are held to a higher standard. We say more. Need to make sure what I'm saying is accurate. I don't take standing in this pulpit lightly. I'm going to be held accountable for the things that I say. So I better make sure it's all God and not, you know, some commentator. You see a lot of that in ministries, especially the Calvinist side of stuff. A lot of church fathers, a lot of this apologist, that apologist. People don't like the way I teach because they think I don't teach deep enough. Well, you're calling the Word of God shallow. I'm just going to say what this says. And I'll show you a commentary every once in a while that minds things from God's Word. There's a lot of things that people come to the conclusions and you go, how did that happen? They're not listening to the Bible. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. We read verse uh, 8 there. Verse 9, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, stealing, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. 
So this comes down to even as the young men in the church, as fathers who are workers, as they employ, as they treat their employer, they should do it well. That means, Dad, you don't come home and talk bad about how things are at work. Your kids see that, and they'll start doing the same thing. When they're not in the presence of somebody else, they'll talk behind their back. That is not a good trait. And that's something we should avoid. If you have a, a, an unfair employer, commit it to the Lord. You do right. You, and by the way, we live in a country where you can choose. You can choose to go somewhere else. But be careful what your kids are seeing. Look in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 19. We are almost out of time, so I might have to just give you the Cliff Notes version for children. But there's a lot of great instruction to the kids too, and it's very simple. That's what I like about the Scripture. I think God knows how children are, so He gives them simple instructions. But for, for, for fathers here and for husbands, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. Okay, that's not new. Hang on. Here's the added piece. And be not bitter against them. You know what it's like. You know what this is like when you take a drink of expired milk. It is appalling. You don't go, that, that's bad. You usually go, get it out. I always check the expiration date because I had a bad experience in the back building. There was milk in there that I had left for obviously too long. And I took some and I was chewing it. And I thought, no, right? You guys are cringing right now. This is the idea of bitterness. Can you imagine if you had that kind of repulsive character in your marriage? Sure, you're home. Sure, you provide. But you're bitter towards your spouse. That does not work. That's not how God treats us. Look in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. So it's more than just, well, I love them because I'm there. You know, I haven't left. Well, are you bitter towards them? Because that, that's not good either. And you find out you want to have success, just fully submit. Just fully submit to the Lord. That's hard for men. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. And ye fathers, this is what breaks my heart when I actually see this. Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up. You know what the idea of bringing somebody up is? You're walking alongside them. You're not some taskmaster from the top step lording over your kids just law, law, law all the time. You're down there with them. You're walking with them. You're showing these things. We've been doing this with Remy. Soon as I see her move, she's got this thing where she likes to scoot. All right, they're saying she should be crawling by now. Okay, so now when she wants to scoot, I say, belly up, Rem, belly up. And she laughs because she knows that I'm about to come over there and I just put my hand underneath her and lift her up. And then I stay down there crawling and I demonstrate to her, this is how we do, right? You know what happened in about a week now? That's all she does. Can you imagine if I looked at my 11-month-old daughter and I said, get it right, come on, get it right. That's, you think she's going to go, oh yeah, thanks, and just start crawling automatically? Someone's got to demonstrate that to her. But there's a lot of dads out there that take their anger and they load it onto their kids. And they provoke their kids. They push them. They don't bring them up. They shout down to them. That's not how we're supposed to love our kids. And that's why we have a lot of problems. 
It's not just the dads that are absent. It's the ones that are they're fearful when they're around. It shouldn't be that way. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You get your arms around those kids, even though they can be, the head is that hard, you know? <laughs> it's like, and they do things that may, oh, it just gets under your skin. Love them. Think about how you can get under God's skin and how loving he is to you. That doesn't mean you tolerate sin, but you love those kids and you, you let them know. You let them know. When they're in trouble and there needs to be corrective punishment, you don't just lash out in anger. You take the time that you need to get right and you talk to them and say, what are we supposed to do? Make sure they know why they're in trouble. And then after the punishment, you're there with your kids. It's not they're, they're reeling after you just in a whirlwind lashed out. That's not conducive to how God takes care of us. God takes care of us and we know what's wrong. And if not, then there's, there's an issue. 1 Peter 3, 7, we saw where it says, honor your wife. We, already, we, we saw that. And make, the, make a note of this, Proverbs 31, 28, where it says, the husband praiseth the Proverbs 31 woman. And that doesn't mean you just lift your wife up all the time publicly, because that can be sending the wrong message. But you make sure she knows she's valued and has worth in the marriage. And there's nothing wrong with, with talking about your wife, too. But you don't want to make it seem like, uh, he's just kind of here for show. Less of this, more of actual doing. All right, for children here, we're just going to go to Ephesians 6, since we're already there, 1 through 3. But I want you to take note of these, please. Just write these down. Proverbs 1, verses 8 through 9. Proverbs 1, verses 8 through 9. Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 2. Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 2. And Proverbs 4, verses 1 through 7. Those are the first opening remarks of, the, of those chapters that continually tell kids to do the same thing. Listen to the instruction of your father. Listen to the instruction of your mother. And it's, that's it. There are different results that come as the fruit of that, but kids are told to do one thing, obey. Now look at verse 1 in Ephesians 6, since we're there. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. For this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. What's the promise? That it may be well with thee. You know the peace that comes from a child that honors their mother and father, even though they might not be the example Christians? They're still doing right. God told them to do something, and they know, I'm right with God. And thou mayest live long on the earth. Hmm, that's interesting. I wonder why Humana doesn't have that as like a deductible, right? Do you honor your mother and father biblically? Yes. Oh, great. We're going to give to you health care. Doesn't work that way because that's not how the world works and honors things. The world sees this as oppressive. This is restrictive to kids' creativity. No, it's not. This is how you res this is how you raise respectable men and women. You think our kids have a problem with respect today? It appalls me to see these little clips that fly around in the news of what kids are doing. 
I mean kids, 17, 18 years old. I know they're adults in the eyes of our government status, but you know, it's not like they just turned 18 and started doing these things. And even what kids are doing in schools, 13, 14, 15-year-old kids, you're like, how does this happen? They don't respect mother and father. I want you to note here, the instruction is to honor and obey. And then Proverbs, which we didn't get to, says you listen. So close your Bibles and I'll make this conclusion here. You've got God, right? He's at the top. He has demonstrated love by giving Jesus Christ. Dad, Mom, they trust Christ as their Savior. They meet one another, fall in love, get married. They keep God at the center. Okay. They're, while there's no children in the marriage, they're honoring God through the marriage. Kids come as a result. As a result, you've got these kids who have mom and dad, who look to God, who build their lives off the Word. That is a strong family. I'm not talking financially strong. They may have health problems, whatever it may be. That family is set up for success because who's the center of that? God and His Son, Jesus Christ. you got mom and dad sealed with the Holy Spirit. The kids, when they're of age where they can understand between right and wrong and understand that God sent His Son to pay for their wrong, they're saved. Now the Holy Spirit's indwelt them. The chances for your spiritual success are astronomical at that point. Doesn't mean you won't come under attack. You will. There are people that have fought in our neighbor country, Canada, where their kids are taken away by the government. Don't Google some of that language because it'll scare you, but know that God is faithful. But we have a responsibility to honor God in the things that we say and do. I like that because I'm a simple guy. I'm glad it's not no advanced calculus and your children will be successful. Remy would have no shot. (laughs) Zero. Not even a little bit? Not even a little bit. The instruction is for me to remember what was done for me. And then demonstrate that love. I'm glad that Kyla and I had 12 years before we had a child. But man, this last year, I wouldn't change it for the world. I've understood love on a deeper level. And trust me, now that Remy will be one in a little bit, I'm going to understand patience at a deeper level. It's, and there's going to be many opportunities for me to demonstrate how God loves me. But what a wonderful opportunity it is to put God's Word to work. I'm excited about that. And that's why the title is what it is. You treat Him right. Do right. And God will honor that. And I think that's, that's, that makes life worth living, doesn't it? We got a purpose. When I was in school, I was like, well, you know, set yourself up, get your 401k, all this stuff. You know, they never taught me how to budget and just, you know, how to use your checking account, your savings account. But once I saw what God's word had for me, it gave me great purpose. Great purpose. You want to talk about soul winning too? I have an, I, we have an opportunity to lead our daughter to the Lord when she comes of age. What a wonderful thing we can introduce her to. That regardless of what happens to her in the future, she puts her trust in Jesus Christ, her Savior. She's going to heaven. Isn't that great? It's the greatest thing we could do for, for, for our kids. And so we should do it. Model that in the family. This hand represents me and you, everybody in the entire world. 
This represents sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, eternal and permanent separation from God forever in a literal fire-burning hell. In order to get to heaven, we have to have no sin. And that doesn't mean, okay, I'm going to start today, right? All the diets are starting tomorrow. Monday, Monday, Monday. That doesn't mean that all of a sudden all that sin you did before is gone. You have to be sinless with no sin, past, present, or future, and we all fall short. That wages of sin is death. This sin brings separation between us and God, but God loves us and he hates the sin. We can't turn from our sin because it's who we are. Even though we may avoid the sins that we could commit, you know, by actually doing things, when we don't do things that we should do, that's sin too. <coughs> and that all requires a payment. Somebody's got to die. There's no amount of turning, starting, stopping, promising that you could do to pay for this sin. Somebody's got to die. And God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Jesus willingly did that for us. This hand represents Jesus Christ. And it's illustrated in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, that's you and me. The way our gospel tracts are written, we have a blank space there where we invite someone to put their name. One of my best friends, Tyler Hamby, he got a tract from his grandma and he put his name in that line. He understood that what Jesus did on the cross his burial and resurrection was for him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, how simple is that? Whosoever puts their assurance, trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ should not perish. Doesn't mean you won't die physically unless you get raptured. By the way, it's looking ever increasingly like we're in that group. That's a whole other discussion for another day. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can know that you're going to heaven before you die. Think about that young man that was in my office and pray for him. He heard this same message. But aren't you glad that somebody shared it with you? Aren't you glad that someone looked past your faults and failures and gave you this free gift of everlasting life or the, the, the opportunity to receive it? They just went soul winning this, this weekend. How many people trusted Christ, Mr. Hernandez? 67 people. They may never darken the door of a church, which would be a shame, but they're going to heaven. <laughs> you think that work is important? Absolutely. We can model that in our marriages too, in the way we raise our kids. And so I encourage you to do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're watching on the internet, we're on Facebook, YouTube, Sermon Audio, calvaryoftampa.org. Wherever you may be watching, whenever you're watching, I encourage you to put your trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The moment that you do, Jesus says you're passed from death into life and you'll never be brought into condemnation. Leave a like or comment with your email address if you trust it in Jesus Christ and we'll reach out to you. We have some material we'd like to send to you to encourage you. For those of you here in the audience, the invitation is open to you too. If you haven't already before, would you put your trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ and Him alone, apart from any good works that you could ever do? The moment you believe on him, you're given the free gift of everlasting life. For those of us who have children, we're married, treat them right. You need to get right with the Lord first if you're not. But more than just, you know, cards and flowers and, you know, nice things that you could do, commit yourself to your spouse. Know what the word says and raise your children in such a way. You will be so glad that you did.
It'll be the greatest gift. Father, I thank you so much for your word. What wealth of knowledge is available to those who apply. Pray for our WANA program, all of our teachers. Bring us back here safely on Wednesday night for our prayer meeting. In the name of Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, we pray these things. Amen.